The West Photo Podcast. 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 Hello and welcome to the West Photo Podcast, hosted by the West Photo team. Me, Livia Smith, and the wonderful Anna John. West Photo is a photographic agency and picture library linked to the University of Westminster. We provide bespoke photo printing, set up collaborative art projects, and offer editorial and design services. Throughout this series, we will be interviewing individuals who work in the visual arts, discussing their career and relationship with photography. Following our pilot episode, we were lucky enough to chat with Zelda Cheetle. Zelda is a world-renowned expert in photography, known for her skills as a curator, editor, lecturer, consultant and collector. In 1982, Zelda began her career at the Photographer's Gallery, working under its founder, Sue Davies. After some years spent here, she then went on to open her own gallery. For 16 years, the Zelda Cheetle Gallery exhibited a rich programme of acclaimed work, including artists such as Helen Chadwick, Eve Arnold, Imogen Cunningham, Lee Miller, Robert Frank and many more. The gallery consistently championed both young and emerging artists, whilst also acknowledging the importance of history, exhibiting iconic work from across the 20th century. From 2005 to 2012, Cheetle was responsible for initiating, sourcing and establishing the first photography fund. Primarily collecting fine prints of the 20th century, the collection included the Eve Arnold archive of vintage prints and a significant Russian collection. Today, Cheetle curates, reviews and assesses photography on an international basis. For instance, she has been heavily involved as a judge for the Sony World Photography Awards. We'd like to say a massive thank you to Zelda for making our first episode so enjoyable. She must have people asking her a lot of the time about her journey in photography, so we really are grateful with how generous she was in terms of giving information and advice. As a quick side note, our office is situated right next to a hospital, hence the sirens you may hear at times. So, without further ado, here is our conversation with the fabulous Zelda Cheetle. yourself, an editor, a curator, a collector. How come you took on all these different roles? I think that expression, needs must, has to come into it somewhere. I mean, I think I started off as the photographer, Mm -hmm. um, 100% photographer. I married a photographer, this is not necessarily a good idea, (laughs) (laughs) two in the same family. And so he decided that he was a photographer, and it was also the moment that I thought we should buy somewhere to live and get a mortgage and I started mm-hmm. work at the Photographer's Gallery and it was all kind of those sort of three events mm-hmm. but work at the Photographer's Gallery during the 1980s was just the most incredible time mm-hmm. photography really beginning to take off I met such amazing incredible photographers almost on a weekly basis I mean I met Cortege we gave him his 90th birthday party what? I met Marseille <laughs> I met I mean, I met Robert Dwyer, I met Jacques-Henri Lartigue, I worked with Faye Goblin on a daily basis, Mary Ma from Hungary had just arrived, she was one. I mean, I just, I met 
really incredible people. I worked with incredible people. I did lovely shows. I had a great time. And so that it was the best introduction. And I had decided if I wasn't going to be a photographer, to really to put the camera away and to really concentrate on doing my job really, really well. So it was at the encouragement of my boss, Sue Davis. Um, she said, you should really do this on your own, Zelda. You should have your own gallery. And I thought, oh, should I, really? Um, and, but I did, absolutely kind of with her blessing. But it was a strange decision because I had a one-year-old child. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> no sleep and then work seven days and think that it's all... But it was great. And... Um, I opened a little gallery in Cecil Court and Jack went to nursery school at Trafalgar Square and St Martin in the Fields. As it all kind of works, the mm -hmm. way that things, when they have to, they do. You yeah. make things work. And so I, um, I had for 17 years, again, I moved to Mayfair and from Mayfair I moved at the very end to Shoreditch and I finished with an Abbas Kiarist Army show that was really mm. such a great exhibition to finish on because we showed his films and he'd written a book of poetry and we had poetry readings and the exhibition was wonderful and we did it in conjunction with the V&A and Amazing. all of that was just, it was great but yeah. I've been invited to start a photography fund mm. um, which sounded absolutely brilliant and I was so convinced that I was going to walk into this job and suddenly have a salary because all of the time that I had the gallery, it was, I never ever owed people money, but it was a very, very thin line between staying out of the red and actually surviving. Yeah. But in fact, I did. I was the first gallery, the first commercial gallery of photography that actually you know, held its head up. I was the first one and mm. never went into overdraft and always paid all my bills, which is quite yeah. good. Mm. Um, and, I mean, I think we set, I set the standard very high about what I wanted to do so that we participated in European and American art fairs. Mm -hmm. And so that is a way that you sort of start to get to know everybody by doing those art fairs and you feel green as grass when you start and then you become like I am now, you're quite seasoned. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so that it's, I mean, the whole business of photography is one that you just sort of learn as you go along. Yeah. And I think that if your intentions are good and you've got and you do set your standards very high, I think that is how that is a good recipe for success. So I then went into the fund. I spent seven years working um, with the fund, and instead of spending lots of money buying great photographs, which I had looked forward to, because instead of having to sell lots of photographs, yes. I thought I'd be buying lots of photographs, and then you were great photographs aware. Um, it wasn't quite like that. I had to raise all the money in order to buy all the photographs. So it was a different thing. I had to learn about the financial world, which was not one I would have chosen to go into. It wasn't that easy. Um, but I finished there in 2012, and now what I'm doing is I am curating... I mean, right from the beginning of the gallery in 1989, we started publishing. I started with Mark Power's Shipping Forecast book, and I published continuously mm -hmm. books that mainstream publishers weren't interested in publishing. Mm -hmm. So that, um, And some of those have been very successful. Um, and so now it's nice because I've just actually come from a meeting with Paul Duke, and he's doing a very beautiful book about Muirhead called um, No Ruined Stone. And it's a very lovely, very quiet book that's going to be published in Germany, actually. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so they, I, I like it. I'm working with books. I'm curating interesting exhibitions. Yeah. And get, I've been working in the Middle East and in China. And do, and it's, it's very nice that after all of that long time, the decade in the photographer's gallery, and nearly a couple of decades with my gallery, that you'd be out and about and so not actually tied to one place. It's a good yeah. feeling. Yeah. So, yes, I love what I do now, but it's taken all of these years to get to be <laughs> here at this point. But it is a great time. This is a really, really good time. So I do a little bit of going into different universities, quite a bit at the moment. Um, and that also, I really enjoy staying in touch with students, and I do portfolio reviews, and you know, mm-hmm. host of different festivals with different. You know, sometimes it's to chair a panel, or it's to lead a discussion, or that. And so, again, it's something that I really like because it keeps you sort of in the loop of what's happening. Yeah. So, like you were saying, all these jobs you've had to learn as you're doing it. Almost, it's you know, these are different roles that you've kind of taken on as you've progressed. Do you think really is there a career in photography now or visual art in general that's as clear cut or an open thing now? I think it's this, I think it's always been the same. I think that you have to have kind of a focus in mind that mm. of what it is that you want to do mm. and how you want to go about it. And then if you follow that. Yeah. I mean it's interesting it's a very good question because um, Yan Wang Preston, a Chinese photographer she gave up medicine. She was an anaesthetist in China. She gave it up in order to do this conceptual journey of taking photographs down the Yangtze River. It took four and a half years. Mm. She's just completed her PhD. And she said to me, so what do I do now? <laughs> I said, well, there is no, there is no, there is no from A to B. Yeah. And she yeah. said, well, in medicine, you know, you're a junior doctor, then you're a registrar, yeah. then you're a consultant. So what do you do in photography? And I said... You, you network, yeah. you have to actually become visible, you have to publish, you have to go to festivals, you have mm. to let people know about mm. you. It doesn't come and you have to make things happen. It mm. is, there is no structure. Yeah. She said, it's such a mess. And it, it is very unclear. Yeah. And there are, there's very, very few people for whom they go absolutely... You know, from, mm. from A to Z with no interruptions. Mm. It's just, it is a case of, um, it, I think it's, all, it's a combination always of luck. Mm. Yeah. There is luck involved and being in the right place at the right time and making the right applications. But I mean, I have suggested to Yen and she's done it very successfully. She applied for this in Enterprise and she's won it. Mm. And so she's now had like a big commission and a lump of money to make a book. And spend some time in China and make that, <clears throat> excuse me, make that series. So um, you apply for prizes, you apply for awards, you apply for. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, it's just it's about making yourself visible. But it's also that thing about that you need a little bit of um, charm and charisma and the ability to go out there and ask for it. That kind of branding yourself and marketing your a own bit. work. A bit, because there's too much is like also like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But just the right amount, and that is something yeah. I do think that now, in a way, universities have more of a responsibility to try and help their students mm. have that little extra edge of confidence. Yeah. Because, I mean, I'd, I would say that all students graduating should have a go at like, maybe volunteering at festivals or volunteering in galleries or doing a bit of invigilating so they've got a bit of a sense about which area they're, they're thinking about going in. 
And there's often those opportunities exist, and it's hard because at volunteering you're not paid. Yeah. But I mean, it does mean that you get to meet people, and that is part of the whole business. Is this strange thing of how you meet people, yeah. and then how it's about the gelling, and that you can put things in people's way, but without that sort of strange mixture of kind of um, personality and you know, that charisma, it yeah. doesn't work. Me and Anna have both agreed all our um, assisting and voluntary experience throughout uni has been probably the most valuable thing for both of us. Definitely. And it will continue to be that. Yeah. yeah. But the thing is, and soon it's not volunteer because people like you and they'll invite you back yeah. and they'll pay you. Yeah. And that is the way that you hope it goes. Mm. I mean, and certainly some of the students that I've kind of helped in different universities over the years, the ones that sort of stay in touch with me, then they're the ones that I put forward because people ask me about who wants jobs and is there anything going and or if I need an assistant or I want someone to come with me to help put up a show, they're the ones that I ask to come and help and then they do get paid. Yeah. yeah. So it's, I mean, it's that thing about but how can you advise people you know, to stay in touch or to just think about saying thank you to somebody that might have you know might yeah. have come here just that little mm-hmm. thing might be the trigger that really yeah. it makes all the difference it's resourcefulness yeah. isn't it mm-hmm. yeah and just kind of but it's it's some people will be concentrating so hard on their work mm-hmm. they don't want to do that and they don't think that it's important and maybe if they're going to go back to wherever country that they might have come from to network here is not really relevant but I yeah. still think that the work experience is massively relevant mm-hmm. that's very really <clears> true I'm curious, you said that it's really important to put yourself out there and I've had a few good friends who I studied with and they kind of were really trying to push their own work and they visit a lot of festivals and submit their work and it just all seems very kind of not just time intense but also money intense. Like you always have to pay for submissions and it's really quite difficult to kind of make a a living from your own work. But you know what's also interesting that... that, um, Let's take format as an example in mm-hmm. Derby. Yeah. I mean, I've done portfolio reviewing in format for years. Mm-hmm. You don't get paid anything to okay. review the portfolios. Nothing. They pay your train fare. They don't pay for you to stay overnight. They don't pay anything. Mm-hmm. They take the money from people whose portfolios are being reviewed, mm-hmm. but that is, in fact, fed into the organisation. Mm-hmm. So that's a quite... A, it's a good example of, I think, that people feeling like... They're having to pay, yeah. but that money isn't going to the reviewers that are there to actually look mm-hmm. at it. So it's, a, it's, it's very much that the reviewers are there because they want to be there and they want to help and yeah. they want to look at work and they want to actually... And so that it's, it's an odd one. I mean, I think that there's a few things that you don't pay for that I would recommend that if you're terribly skinned. The photographers can, we do a social once a month, yeah, and yeah, they invite, that's they invite people to come. And then it's about networking. It's mm-hmm. about creating that social kind of a hub. And quite a few of the places like PhotoFusion, you know, there's quite a few places that organise doing um, sort of portfolio reviews. Like Lewis Bush organises this group and they invite people to come in and look at everyone's work. I mean, it's something... I encourage people to do this um, as student groups together. Yeah. You know, yeah. get together. You don't need anyone to structure it, especially when you've got a university. You've actually got, like, you could do it out there by the coffee bar. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just, but arrange, like, every third Wednesday... And then you can invite some. I've done it for Lewis Bush's group. You don't get paid anything, but you're happy to go and spend a couple of hours looking at work. So as a group of students, do that. 
And then what's nice is that some, somebody might have a connection with someone that's come in and you've then got a whole new like relationship that has started yeah. that might go somewhere. Yeah. But I mean, I'd say most of the people, you know, let's say Hannah Watson at TJ Bolting or, you know, Monica Iendi that used to be the Sunday Times that organises the Get So Fest, yeah. those people, they're really interested in looking at work mm-hmm. so that they would... You know, for no money, especially if it's a student group and the students haven't any money, um, they would do it. I mean, I think probably most of us would do it. And the ones that wouldn't do it, mm. you don't want to have them anyway. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I mean, I suppose one thing I learned through doing all of this kind of volunteering is to just be very opportunistic. Just reach out to people. The worst thing that yeah. can happen is they say no. Yes, just that's try the again ones. a few exactly. months later down yeah. the line. But but that is what yeah. I would say about you know, people when they say, oh, well, there's nowhere to exhibit. Well, that's not true. There's, yeah, you just have to go and do it. Yeah. You know, print your things on um, PVC and put them in the park. You, know, like, you yeah. can do yes. anything you like. You can yeah. do anything anywhere. But you just have to want to do it. Yeah. Of course. And be focused and then, and then follow that yeah. thread and you'll get there. So you've been doing a lot of work with the Sony Awards um, for years <laughs> and obviously you're looking at a lot of images and I mean the sheer amount must be quite overwhelming like Anna was saying people are submitting things to these competitions and that's free to submit to 391,000 people submitted pictures this year really? Yeah. 391,000 how many people were on the panel? I wasn't I was I was the chair last year, and I must say I was I've never been so tired in my life. Really? Um, I think it's seven people, and it's a very international my panel. God. And Mike, he's been the art director at Vogue for twenty years. And he's just become freelance. He was the chair this year, and I think he did a great job. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Claire Graphic from the Photographers Gallery, Gareth, who's a journalist from the FT, it's like a very serious yeah. panel, a very yeah. serious panel. And they get it down, you know, it's already cut down to about, oh, I don't know, let's say 200,000. Mm-hmm. No, less than that. It's less than that. I can't remember, it's cut down mm-hmm. massively. So that the things that are, you know, that could be poor or completely inappropriate or don't fit the mm-hmm. criteria or whatever, they've already gone. But what you get is like you get the text and you get all of the images that someone might have submitted in the series on the screen at once, and every single one is read and looked at. It's, you sit in a dark room for four days. Oh it's absolutely four days. four days, and you start at nine in the morning and you finish. Well, at the end, it's like 11 o'clock at night because you've got to get through it all. Wow. It's, it's absolutely exhausting. It's like the most intense darkroom project. But, <laughs> but the thing is that you want to also be very fair to everybody, yeah. including the very first ones and the very last ones. Yeah. I mean, and you want to be fair. Yeah. But, I mean, it was, I had a great um, panel last year. There was a Mexican, feisty Mexican, a very sweet, calm Italian... Um, a very interesting sort of Belgian come Asian she runs the Anchor Wat Festival um, the guy from the Sunday Times picture editor very kind of British English um, mm-hmm. and who else was it there was someone else very feisty oh fantastic um, photographer from Ethiopia she was great she was great. but I mean it was like whoa yeah. what a panel <laughs> what a panel it's amazing and like we were very clear that what we didn't want to do was vote 
for photojournalism to be like a wild press because yeah. wild press exists and it is there for a reason. So it was the other things we were trying to. But you, can, I was trying as chair. You're not really meant to give opinions, but it's very difficult not to. So what does it take for an image to stand out to you? It's a very interesting thing because everyone comes from completely different backgrounds, mm -hmm. completely different uses of photography, but it was pretty much unanimous the whole way through about the things that were good. Mm -hmm. Because good things they do just stand out for yeah. completely different reasons. Complete, I mean, mm -hmm. there was a Saudi Arabian young woman who's normally a wedding photographer, she'd done pictures of women that showed the kind of oppression that women were living under. They were great pictures, absolutely wonderful. You know, women dancing in beautiful dresses and things in their own homes. There's no windows. That's how they can be wearing dresses. All those sorts of things. But they were great for what they were because politically. But then also the pictures of just snow in three different countries. Just I mean, they were like white pictures. They were beautiful. Yeah. So that it's not you can't compare what is good and what is bad. But like, they these they sort of they stand out. And also in the kind of the professional. What, they have to submit a body of what people that have edited that together so that it kind of has a narrative that holds together that also is part and that they write a little text not too long a text but a little text that embodies what the photographs are so it's a combination of those three things mm -hmm. the edit, the content and the context and so that is also another thing to practice while you're assumed actually is mm -hmm. putting pictures together that hold together because sometimes great pictures and then there'd be one really duff one and you think well it's just lost it lost yeah. that's why it's not included editing is so important so it's important a, it's a skill i think a lot of students underestimate how important it is yeah because it yeah. can make or break a project yes you can really also going back to like what we were saying earlier about doing group crits and i mean it's definitely something that i've probably forgotten about since graduating which you know it's only july and i forget you know i've got all these amazing peers that is so valuable and you know reflecting on each other's work really does help so much and gets you into that mindset again yes the thing is that um learning about how to take constructive criticism has got to be yeah. a very good part of being a student and and someone actually telling you like get rid of that that and that mm. and add that in Mm. It can be, because someone else has a dispassionate eye that really can help. We're curious if you could give your younger self advice on kind of your career in photography or about all the opportunities you have taken on so far, what would that be? Mm, interesting. Well, I wish I'd, I knew, it was very, always difficult, that whole thing of um, recruiting staff and everything, and I think I'd have quite liked to have learned a bit more about because it was very, it is, that's a very difficult thing, getting people on board. Mm. But I think in terms of the photographers that I worked with and the shows that I did and the kind of the way that my life went, um, I mean, I had no idea. Because I guess, you know, running a gallery, it's like, it's a business, you're... Well, it's got to, it has to be all of those things. You have to be, know about accountancy. Mm. I didn't. <laughs> I had no idea. Um, you have to know about it would be AT and you know, all of those sort of tech, yeah. all of that sort of stuff. Oh, I have no idea. Mm -hmm. um, you have to know about employing people and employee rights and employer rights and all that kind of thing. You have to negotiate all those things like you know rates and council mm -hmm. tax and all of those sort yeah. of things. Never the actual easy bit is 
organizing the exhibitions and mm -hmm. the fun and the, part. But then, <laughs> and also, you, you have to work as much as hard with your kind of your collectors and your public, as well as doing all of the marketing, as well as your relationships with the photographers. Mm. And you have to be available to all people at all times to do mm. everything. Yeah. And you have a baby. It's like, great. <laughs> sure, um, I can do that. <laughs> but it is, it's a lot more than you sort of originally take on. Mm. I mean, you do a business plan and you think, oh, my word, that's actually, oh, and you do a five-year plan for a business plan and you think, that's really quite a lot of money that you have mm. to make in order to break even. But by about halfway through my gallery, I had to make about half a million turnover in order to pay the bills and we were all earning such small salaries mm. um, but it's like that's a lot of a lot of photographs if you can imagine things selling it maybe let's say 500 pounds that's an awful lot of 500 pounds to make yeah. half a million incredibly it we did yeah. Yeah. but I mean it's a lot and then what would be very difficult would be that people that would come in that would want to have an exhibition and you'd say, well, what exhibitions have you liked here? And they'd go, oh, I haven't seen any. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Side approach. Just, and then, whenever you would begin to explain to someone um, yeah, everything that we would do, which would mm -hmm. be like, we would do matching, we would do framing, we would do the invitation, we would lay on the private view, yeah. we would do the marketing, we'd try and sell the work, and that we would be taking a percentage commission. And they would then argue about the commission. And you think, but actually, we have got... There's stuff to pay and there's rent to pay, and it's yeah. not. I mean, it's not just putting things on a wall. It's not just putting things on a wall, and then they think that galleries are these sort of like. There's people really do think that it's galleries funny, are quite yeah. avaricious and that they kind of are taking from the poor artists. But in fact, they will have actually put a huge amount of work and mm -hmm. money into supporting somebody to, to have that show. But I mean, it's, it's often it's a. I think that that sort of notion that people sit around and drink a lot of champagne and have their life a Riley in a gallery is yeah. it's a common misconception. I think when I was a student I expected a lot of photographers that were really well known or in the collection of the V&A or the tape to just kind of have made it and be able to sustain a certain lifestyle and living and once I started working with these people I realised that they're, they're still struggling yep. you're not in it for the money you're in it kind of for a well, and because you really, reasons. really want to do it. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, there was, there was one time, it's now become the MAC First Book Award, but it was, uh, it used to be that there was about five of us put some money in and we would meet at Michael Wilson's house and we would discuss which projects that had been submitted would get some funding. Mm -hmm. And I'll try and be very um, apolitical here, I won't mention any names, but a certain person who is now actually quite persona non gratis, generally, she had decided that she was going to take out, before we got to see the people, she took out all of the mid-career people, like Edmund Clark, Gillian Edelstein. I mean, there was, like, there was quite a lot, mid-career. Because she said, well, they don't need the money. They'll do it anyway. Um, I was saying, no, they haven't got the money, and they still need it just as much as anybody else, and this has to be judged equally on the merit of what we see of everything that is submitted. Yeah. And so we had a, quite a heated discussion about that. But we didn't get to see that work. But, but I think it's so unfair because people mid-career are not any better off 
they are still struggling to, in, in exactly the same way. They might get some more teaching or they might get some more kind of commercial right now and again, but it doesn't mean that they're any better off. Same struggle, different problems, isn't it? Yeah. It's like life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's changing a lot, but I mean, a lot of people have managed to work in higher education somewhere, and mm -hmm. that can fund enough time in the studio for them to be making their own work. Yeah. I mean, and I think, and that's always been a very good way because students mm -hmm. like to work with people that have got a kind of a track record in what they're doing and that they're actually practitioners makes them much more interesting than people that gave up a long time ago. I mean, because your career's been on the more cerebral side of photography. Do you, are you still making work? Are you, do you, do you know what I don't know? The thing that I love now that I can do officially is I can be on Instagram and I like taking pictures. And I just like being able to put things. And I have an Instagram feed and it's so nice to take pictures. Yeah. Because I think, really, if you have a gallery or if you're a serious curator, you cannot, you don't ever want those plans to really cross mm. over. But yeah. Instagram is really way off anything that is professional. And I like it mm -hmm. a lot. And it's just so nice. I like it a lot, taking, um, but I wouldn't want to actually be back making work because I am too involved in actually yeah. curating it. But it is so nice, just because it just yeah, keeps your eye in again. It's like yeah. a flow of consciousness as well. Exactly, just... and it's so not serious. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's someone, like a friend of mine said that she'd seen all these Instagram pictures of people like on holiday and whatnot. Well, I, I don't see any pictures of anyone yeah. on the day. Yeah, on exactly. Yeah. I've great people I follow. Mm. And so that I'm really interesting photographers, and I love... Yeah. yeah when you've got the, it's just when you've got the time. Of course. Yeah, but I think it's quite fun. It's a completely different dynamic to, like, having your camera, because with your phone, it's just always it's on you. So. Exactly. And it's not... And it's not, Well, it's just fun. I, I think having been a photographer, having studied, having battled to study photography, it was a very nice thing um, to actually fully appreciate technically as well as aesthetically what people have to do in order to make work because I really understood it from the inside. Yeah. But I didn't, yeah, I did make that big conscious decision to like, that is not me, I'm going to do this. It was very much a conscious decision. Do you think people can work in the curatorial sector and also make practical work as well and be successful? Do you think, I think it's a struggle? Got, you run the risk of it being a vanity gallery if you're going to put yourself in it. I mean, I think mm. that yeah, yeah, a curator that makes an important exhibition and they make themselves important mm. by who they put around them, is, I think it's yeah. a little bit dubious. I think, I'm sure that there's some people do it successfully, but I personally would step yeah. Step away from the exhibition. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and just one last question. You've had a really interesting career in photography and you've experienced different aspects of the photography industry. Um, do you find that there's been a shift in women's role in the photography industry? Or has it kind of always Well, still, I think I had a very good... Um, met Sue Davis, started the photographer's mm -hmm. gallery. She was great. She was feisty. She did lots of things. Um... There's always been women that I have had great admiration for in the field of photography. And lots of galleries have been run by women and lots of museums have had incredible curators. I mean, Sandy Phillips, who ran the San Francisco Museum, she was such a lovely person. Yeah. They don't have to be um, great battle axes or anything. There's some really fabulous women. No, I think it's good. I mean, I think what I do find is that there's 
possibly... No, I'd say it's probably about a 50-50 balance now, but female-male curators. Yeah. I mean, and I think that probably photography in general has sort of evened out. One of the, one of the shows I've just been doing, the Association of Photographers 50 Years, I'm trying to make that as 50-50, but yeah. the actual membership is nothing like that. I'm just putting a lot more women in. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting, though, because when I studied photography, there were, like, when we started, we were 60 pupils, and we only had, like, four boys on our course. Only four, that's extraordinary. And if you look at the photography industry, you know, in all of its different mm. strata, it's about 80% male. So yeah. where do those women go? It's a, it's where do they go? <laughs> mm. It is true, because it's not just Westminster. I mean, I think mm. it's from, you know, from Falmouth all the way to Aberdeen, yeah. or to Duncan or Jordan. I mean, I think that there's a lot more women study photography and a mm. lot less women that actually continue in the field. I think especially within the commercial industry, because when whenever I assist a photographer, I'm the only girl on set, usually, that is part of the photographer's team. I have so. to tell you something <laughs> that is very interesting, that um, that little photographer called Rankin, mm -hmm. Madova, who lives in my house, Hungarian, really nice, he looks after the studio in Notting Hill Gate that Rankin uses on him, so he brought seven zero seventy assistants with him to shoot one bridal photograph. Wow. One one model, one dress, seventy assistants, of which about forty were women. Amazing. Entourage and a half. I mean, <laughs> unbelievable. I mean, what? Yeah. what how could you possibly need seventy assistants? <laughs> that is interesting. <laughs>